You may not uh, know me, but I am not strange to this church. You know, many, many years ago, actually, uh, my first uh, mission conference ever was in this church. And I came carrying my Bible. Uh, I had tears in my eyes. And I told the church, God has called me to go to the Middle East in order to plant churches. That was years ago. Today I come, brother, can we, today I come back in order, carrying my Bible again and the sheaves with me and to, to tell you what God has done with the money you invested in our ministry. You know, many times we look at missions uh, in the very small scope of uh, people, but I'm going to take you like about 70 years uh, in, in the, you know, my, my story begins in the mid-50s. In the mid-50s, uh, there was a missionary. He's one of the 43,000 missionaries who came out of America after World War II. And uh, Brother Ains and his family uh, came to Lebanon. Brother Ains was among the very first uh, missionaries. He graduated from Baptist Bible College in Missouri, and uh, he was among the very first missionaries who came uh, from uh, under Baptist Bible Fellowship. At that time, Baptist Bible Fellowship was probably the greatest uh, uh, mission board in America. He came to Lebanon, and he rented a storefront uh, in Beirut. He's, you know, he came to Lebanon, to Beirut, and by the way, this uh, handsome young man here, that was me. <laughs> Believe it or not, I was that big <laughs> at one time. Well, you know, he came, he went around, invited people to church. My, my parents were the very first parents that he led to Christ. Actually, my family and I were the first, first family that this missionary led to Christ. Later, my father and brother Ains became as close as brothers. And many pastors who will come from America to Lebanon, usually they will, they will be invited to our home to eat a Lebanese meal in our home. Now, Brother Ains is in heaven. My dad is in heaven. And, you know, every day my dad owned a convenience store in Beirut. And every day after Brother Ains dropped his children in school, he will come to my father's store and my dad and brother Ains will drink Turkish coffee in my father's store. Now, you know, both of them are in heaven and for some reason, if, whenever I think of them, I imagine them sitting somewhere on a hill up in heaven drinking Turkish coffee. <laughs> this is the first uh, church service, the first uh, Sunday school, and uh, the first baptismal service and my father was the first, among the very first people who uh, uh, got baptized. And later he became the deacon and the treasurer of the church. And eventually I grew up and learned English and, uh, and ended working in a bank. And uh, usually my, the missionary who led me to Christ, Brother Ains, had a very heavy accent. He studied Arabic, but his Arabic accent was so heavy that he was a good preacher, but people could not fully understand his accent. So I volunteered. I went to him. I said, Brother Ains, I will volunteer to interpret for you. 
But he didn't know that as I was interpreting for him, I picked his brains. I knew everything he knew. You know, when you interpret for somebody for two, three years, 45 years, you learn everything he knows. Well, 1985, Rosanna and I surrendered to become missionaries. And as I said, uh, uh, I was working as a manager in Toronto, Canada, when God called me and my wife to go back to the to the Middle East to go back to Lebanon. And the first conference ever we took uh, that we attended was in this church here. It was the Bima conference. And uh, eventually I went to Lebanon and uh, planted the Bible Baptist Church of Beirut, Lebanon. Now, as, uh, as I was serving the Lord in Lebanon, uh, I noticed that there were many Africans who came from all over Africa uh, to Lebanon to work. But the Africans lived in a separate in their own communities, and the Lebanese lived in their own communities. So I began to pray to the Lord. I said, Lord, help me to reach these Africans with the gospel. Well, one day I was filling gasoline in my car, and this young man here was putting gas in my car. After he, f- he finished, I looked at him. I said, do you speak Arabic? He said, no, sir, I speak English. So I took a tract, gave it to him, and he looked at the tract, and then he looked at me. He said, what do you do? I said, I'm a Baptist minister. He said, may I come and visit you after work? I said, sure. So after work, uh, this young man came to my house, and I found out that he was a Muslim from the country of Ghana, West Africa, and his name was Muhammad Ali Abina. So in my home, Muhammad Ali Abina and I talked about uh, uh, Muhammad, the founder of Islam, and the Lord Jesus, the founder of Christianity. We talked about the Quran and the Bible. We talked about salvation by grace and salvation by works. And finally, Muhammad Ali Abina accepted Christ as his personal savior. Later, he changed his name from Muhammad Ali Abina into Joe Abina. Well, Joe and I became good friends, so I opened my house every Saturday afternoon. The Africans finished working at 1.30 on Saturday, so at 5 p.m., my home was open for any African to come, and we have a Bible study and prayer meeting. Well, we started with two Africans, later the two became four, later became eight. By the time they hit 14, my living room became too small to host them, so I began to bus them to church, and that little meeting that started started in my home with two Africans, exploded into seven, between 75 and 120 Africans. And some of these Africans surrendered to go back to their homeland. Now, Brother Joe Abina, uh, uh, I, I think he is, yeah, here he is. Right now, we are still friends. He's serving the Lord in Italy. And uh, some of those brethren surrendered and they went back to the Ghana. So uh, the first church, uh, they asked me, they said, Brother Fegali, would you consider coming and helping us start a church? So the first church we started in Ghana was in the city of Komasi. Uh, This is Ghana here. And, uh, you know, this is Ghana. And Komasi is somewhere here. There were no missionaries in that, uh, in that city, so we were the first to begin a Baptist church. Later, uh, out of that church, we, had, we grew into seven churches, and uh, some pastors from Togo, you know, I don't know if you can see that, but some pastors from Togo... Uh, this is Ghana, and this is Togo here, heard about me. So they crossed over and said, Brother Fegali, can you come over and help us? 
So I went there. We started with three churches. Then later we had 27 young men surrendered to serve the Lord. And they came out of their, their churches planted at 27 churches. Eventually, Togo, I delivered Togo to another mission agency. And uh, so Ghana was here. One day I was uh, sitting in Knoxville, Tennessee in my home. And uh, there was a, young, a student at Crown College. Crown College is a college located in uh, uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. And this student was a, an immigrant from Liberia. So his pastor came to visit him, and he brought his pastor to my house. Brother John Demi, uh, I found out that he was a great minister of the gospel. He had the largest independent Baptist church in the country of Liberia. He, his church was in a town called Tapita. Now, he came to my house. He said, Brother Figali, uh, uh, we have a civil war in Liberia. He said, the, the moment that civil war began, all the missionaries left us. He said, I understand them leaving us, but he said, none of those missionaries gave us a dollar, a penny, so that we can buy food. And he said, our people are hiding in the jungle. Nobody is there to help us, very discouraged. And then he looked at me, said, Brother Fagali, would you consider coming and helping us? And then he looked at me, said, Brother Edgar, if you decide to help us, I will go with you to Liberia and introduce you uh, to the ministry. Well, I said, Brother John, uh, you have a civil war. By the way, if you have seen the movie Blood, uh, Blood Diamond... Uh, you know, it's about Liberia. And uh, uh, President Taylor was the president at that time. I said, Brother, Brother John, you have a civil war. Let me pray first. And as I was praying unto the Lord, the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, Edgar, you have been through the Lebanese war. What's with a little civil war to scare you? Go to Liberia. So the interesting thing is that Brother John, who promised to go with me to Liberia, if I decide, he never went back to Liberia. He was struggling with cancer, and eventually he, he died in, in America. But I went to Liberia, and when I saw the tragedy of the pastors, I decided to stand behind them, and I continued to stand behind them throughout the Civil War until the Civil War was over. And praise the Lord, by doing this, we preserved the independent Baptist churches in that part of the world. You know, when Pastor Demi, John Demi, passed away. His family contacted me, said, Brother Figali, would you consider coming to Liberia and preach, preaching the funeral for us? So I went to Liberia, and we had, about like, Monrovia is the capital, and it takes a by car, because of the road are so bad, takes about 20 hours to go from Monrovia to uh, Tapita, and uh, we, there were about 100 cars in the convoy heading to uh, Tapita. When we got to the vicinity of that city, tens of thousands of people were standing on both sides of the road, paying respect to this great man of God. After, uh, after uh, brother, uh, we, we buried uh, Pastor Demi, uh, I, the Lord enabled me to ordain uh, Brother Duanyon. Can you see his picture? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but there is a person there. Uh, we are ordaining. Uh, this is him here. And right now he is the pastor, great man of God uh, in Liberia. Of course, I continued and stand, stood with the 
preachers. Uh, eventually, we planted about 37 churches uh, or, or helped with those churches. Uh, today, we have, we, have, uh, uh, we have a Bible college there. We have a safe house whereby if a Muslim gets saved and his family kick him out, that they will, he can come to our safe house. We take care of him until he finds a place to live. We have four Christian schools. I built two of them, renovated the other two. We have 1,200 students right now studying in our Christian school. Uh, our Christian schools. Uh, we have uh, a radio station and a Bible college. Just recent this year, graduated 14 students from our college, and we we partner with a Bible college in. Arkansas called uh, uh, Blessed Hope Baptist College. So this is, uh, this is not even part of my mission field. Just happened to be a pastor of an African church in Lebanon, and God called me to, uh, to go there. Now, you know, this is Sudan here, and uh, God opened the door again in Sudan. This brother here, his name is Greg Holmes. Greg Holmes is a pastor in Alabama, one day I was in his church. He said, Brother Figali, what are you up to? I said, I'm going to Sudan. He looked at me and said, would you like to come? Can I go with you? Well, when Brother, uh, when brother uh, uh, Holmes uh, traveled with me to Sudan, he didn't know that we are about to, st to write uh, Baptist history. Uh, we went here. We are, we are in the Red Sea State. And this man here is the governor of the Red Sea State. We went there, we visited him, and we told him that we are planning to have a city-wide revival. So what we did, he welcomed us, he encouraged us to do that. So what we did, we hired buses and brought the people to a place, an arena that we rented out, and every night we had five thousand people attending the revival meeting and brother Greg Holmes and I shared the gospel every night we preached the word of God gave an invitation and by the end of the revival more than 3,000 people came forward and wanted to give their hearts to the Lord by doing the we were the first independent Baptist ever or any Baptist in the history of Sudan to do something like that. But as a result of this revival, this gentleman came to me. Now, his name is Mahjoub Kaju. Mahjoub was a, is a, used to be a stone worshiper. Later, he became a member of the Congress in, North, in, Northern, in Sudan. Later, he got saved. Later, he became a pastor. And he came to me and said, Brother, uh, Brother Figali, we heard that you are planning to plant Baptist churches uh, in, in Sudan. I said, yes. He said, uh, he said we are, I, uh, he was like the leader of a tribe called the Moro tribe. The Moro tribe, there are about 1.2 million. And I don't know if you heard of the Nuba Mountains in, uh, in Sudan. Uh, well, he, uh, that's where the tribe is located. He said, Brother Edgar, there are hundred, uh, we have 125 uh, churches. He said, we are Baptistic in our doctrine. He said, our pastors are illiterate. He said, instead of putting all your energy or, on planting churches, why don't you uh, 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 educate our pastors? Well, it made sense to me. I did not give up the church planting ministry, but I felt that what an opportunity to train and teach the Word of God to 125 pastors. So I invited the men of God from, with me from America to Sudan. And what we discovered is that the, the, the biggest problem these pastors have, they don't believe they believe in baptismal regeneration.
In other words, they believed that in child baptism by, by sprinkling, and this was the biggest problem that we had to face. But after teaching the Word of God, most of these pastors changed their position and began to believe that a Christian is baptized after salvation. Uh, and uh, so they changed their position. Now that they believe in baptism after salvation, that created a new problem. You see, Sudan is a, is a desert. And in the desert, you don't have water. The only place to baptize people is to take them to the Nile River. But there are Muslim extremists and radical Islam. If they see people be getting baptized, they may attack them and kill them. So that, that was a problem. After praying unto the Lord, God gave us an answer. We may, I, I um, built, like we did 34 of those portable baptismal pools and what we did we located them in strategic places so that any person anywhere get saved can come and obey the lord in water baptism now in spite of you know in addition to that we had an underground bible institute in uh, in sudan right now and uh, I did not give up, uh, you know, the uh, church planting. Actually, right now, as I speak, we have six churches uh, in northern Sudan, uh, not South Sudan. In South Sudan, we have a school, we have a church. But in North Sudan, we and this brother James uh, uh, just ordained him last uh, last uh, no, last December. He, we, I brought him to Egypt. Because I couldn't go to Sudan. There was a coup and then there was a, an uprising in Sudan. They wouldn't let me go there. So I brought them to Egypt and we ordained him over there. And he is one of our pastors. Now, in spite of COVID, in spite of all that, we had a graduation in Sudan. And we had about 43 young men and women who uh, uh, graduated from our Bible Institute. Now, these young people will go back to their tribes and they will carry the gospel and witness to the people in their tribes. Usually, they would be Muslims who do that. And just now, we are praying that God is going to open a whole province in Sudan called Darfur. I don't know if you heard of Darfur. Darfur has the darkest black people uh, in, in, in the world, but they are Muslims and they are, you know, the Arab uh, uh, army went to Darfur and slaughtered, slaughtered thousands of them. So these people said, we, we are Muslims and the Muslims are killing us, but, we, but the Christians are loving us and helping us. Why are we remaining Muslims? And praise the Lord, many of them are coming to Christ. And we have a pastor just now that we are going to start supporting and working with him uh, in that part of the world. Here is a Bible conference, the recent one, with about 40 people accepted Christ as their personal Savior. You know, God is opening doors, and these doors, uh, uh, everywhere I went, I went by invitation. 1996, I was participating in a conference in Jordan. Uh, for pastors, and a Syrian pastor came to me. He said, Brother Edgar, would you come to Syria and help us? I did. Later, out of that church in the city of Homs, we had 10 young men who came out 
and uh, re, uh, you know, planted ministries uh, in, in northern Syria. Well, recently there has been a civil war in Syria. This civil war killed 600,000 people. 40% of the Syrians now are refugees. They fled the, city, the country. Many of them are outside. So the pastor, who was the, uh, my friend, uh, uh, immigrated, to, uh, brought his family to uh, America, to southern to South, Southern California, and he went back to Syria to continue serving the Lord. Well, I knew his children since they were little children. So one of his children, this is how Syria looked like. <clears throat> we still have a ministry there, never stopped. This young man here, I knew him when he was a little boy uh, in, 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 the, in the house. So when the pastor flew his family to Southern, uh, to southern uh, uh, California, I flew to Southern to Los Angeles, rented a car, drove that rented car into the house where this family lived, and I took this boy by the hand, put him in my car, drove him to West Coast Baptist College, and enrolled him in West Coast Baptist College. Now, eventually, he, I helped him uh, in his education, and eventually he graduated with a master's degree from West Coast Baptist College, and now Brother Jamil... <coughs> is working, is serving the Lord with our ministerial team. And as I speak, in spite of the civil war, uh, Iran is in Syria, Russia is in Syria. The situation is very tense. Hezbollah is in Syria. He started a great ministry and just recently was able to build a church and serve the Lord in that part of the world. Our God is amazing. You know, here is another very interesting development. You know, 2003, uh, am I too fast for you? Am I okay with you? Are you okay? Uh, you know, in 2000, 2003 was a historical turning point. In March 2003, remember our military went to Iraq and he, they removed Saddam Hussein. Remember that? Well, I'm a missionary to the Middle East. When the American military went to Iraq and removed Saddam Hussein, I was determined to be among the very first missionaries to go to Baghdad with the idea, with the hope to plant a Baptist church there. So I have a friend, an Iraqi businessman who lives in Detroit. And when I was, my family and I were in Detroit, he and I were partners in reaching the Arabic speaking people in the city with the gospel. So when, uh, when, uh, I, when the American military removed Saddam Hussein, I called my friend Saber. I said, Brother Saber, uh, I am planning to go to your country to, to plant a church. Would you like to come with me? Well, Saber got excited and he said, sure. So he and I, we flew to Amman, Jordan, and then we hired a taxi from Amman all the way to the city of Baghdad. Took about 11 hours through the desert. And that was in June. The American military uh, removed Saddam in March. On June 4, I was in Baghdad. You know, by the way, these pictures, uh, re remember those pictures? I was there when this took place. I didn't know that this picture is going to become a landmark later. But anyway, as we were driving from Amman to Baghdad, my prayer was this, Lord, 
Is there someone after your own heart? Someone who believes like we do? Someone that together, he and I, can start a Baptist church in the city of Baghdad? So when I arrived in Baghdad, I found out that the only uh, church that was operational uh, in Baghdad, legally operational, was the Presbyterian Church. The pastor of the Presbyterian Church uh, con in contacted me Finding, he found that there is a minister in town. So he contacted me and he invited me to preach in his church. Well, since this was the only church, I accepted to go. And the church was filled with people. I mean, there were about between five to 700 people in the attendance. And at the end of my sermon, I gave an invitation. Almost half of the people in the church, they were so hungry for the word of God that half of the people raised their hands. I said, if you like to accept Christ as your savior, raise your hand. So almost half of the church people raised their hand for salvation. So I asked them to stand up. I couldn't pray with all of them. So I asked them to stand up and repeat after me the salvation prayer. You know, as this is taking place and the, the service was almost over, a man came to me. He said, Brother Edgar, we are having a prayer meeting on the other side of the building. He said, would you be interested in coming over and praying with us? I said, sure. So I went there. The moment as I was entering into the door, the, the leader who was leading the prayer meeting, I heard him say, he said, I am praying that the Lord will bring us, bring us somebody to help us start a church. Can you imagine? As I am entering, as I enter, he said, I am praying that the Lord will send us someone to help us start a church in Baghdad. Well, I could hardly wait for the prayer meeting to be over. I went to him and I said, Brother Maher, my name is Edgar Fegali, and I am the man God sent to help you start a church. And you know, the rest is history. It took us three months to find a, a, a location, two months to renovate the location to be, to, to be suitable for a church. And our ministry wrote again Baptist history. We were the first independent Baptist, uh, independent, the first Baptist church ever of any kind to be established uh, in Iraq. Actually, God blessed us so much that uh, we, many pastors in America got so excited because I wrote a lot about Brother Maher. So they, many called me, said, Brother Edgar, can you bring Maher to America? We would like to meet him. So I brought him to America. And one day, uh, Maher, usually Maher doesn't speak English. He stands on this side of the pulpit. I stand on this side interpreting, interpret for him. Well, one day we were in a very large church. There were about 2,500 people in attendance. But what I didn't know that morning, that Sunday, that there were many ex American military who partook part in Baghdad, went to Iraq. They were present in the service and they were uh, uh, at least couple to few politicians attending the service. So as Maher was opening the Bible and ready to preach, he turned around and he noticed the American flag. He stopped his sermon turned around, saluted the American flag, and then he looked at the people. He said, thank God for the American people. 
He said, thank God for the American military. He said, because the American military went and removed Saddam Hussein, today we have the freedom to preach the gospel in Iraq. You know, I was standing at the door at the end of the service, shaking hands, and every one of those military personnel came to me. They said, Brother Fegali, until today, we thought that going to Iraq was a mistake. But now that we heard the testimony of Pastor Maher, today we thank God that we went and removed Saddam Hussein. You know, later after we planted the, Bible, the, the New Testament Baptist Church of Baghdad, a friend of mine called me and he said, Brother Edgar, how about a radio station? Well, I looked at him, I said, uh, Pastor Maha, brother, uh, my friend, I said, this is a Muslim nation. I said, I don't know if they will even allow us to, uh, to have a radio station. I said, but since you ask me, let me try. So we applied with the Iraqi government to allow us legally to have a radio station. It took one and a half years, but after one and a half years, the government Answered, our, uh, uh, answered us, and they gave us a license. You know, this was a miracle from the Lord. So we began to broadcast at a radius of 17 kilometers, reaching 17, within 17 kilometers, people could hear the gospel. Well, one day, I was preaching at Crown College in Temple Baptist in Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, I usually read my Bible. It's easy for me to read the Bible from my phone. As I was preaching, my phone was ringing. And uh, I looked at that telephone. It was from Baghdad. You know, uh, I mean, we as preachers, we have enough to concentrate on our sermon. Now I have to worry what's going on there. But then, you know, I finished my sermon, took my telephone, went out, called Ma Maher. The moment he answered me, I said, praise the Lord, he's alive. At the beginning, I thought maybe a car bomb or something happened. And I said, Maher, you're okay. Are you okay? He said, yes. I said, uh, what's the problem? Why are you calling me? He said, Brother Edgar, you cannot believe what happened. I said, what happened? He said, something amazing happened. I said, Brother uh, Maher, don't get me too excited. Tell me what happened. He said, the minister of communication, a Muslim, called our radio station, and he told them that the United Nations invited Iraq to a conference on communication in Paris. And the United Nations told the Iraqis that you can pick five uh, networks from your country to represent you in this United Nations conference. And the, you know, the Iraqi government chose FM 103, our radio station, to be one of the five networks to represent them in this United Nations conference. Now, I don't know if you can understand how I feel, how, how, how I felt. I mean, this is stunning to me. I said, Meher, let, hang up. Call the minister of communication, who is a Muslim, and ask him, tell him, uh, FM 103 is 24-7 uh, uh, Bible uh, gospel uh, station. Why did you choose our radio station to represent your government in this conference? So Meher hang up, and he called the, the minister, then he called me back, and this is what the minister said, Brother Fegali. Meher said, this is what the minister said. He said, we chose FM 103 because of your message to the Iraqi people. He said, your radio station is the only station in all Iraq 
who are teaching the Iraqis to love one another as your Jesus loved you. Now, this is a Muslim making this statement. Now, because we, became, we, we took part in this conference, we became good friends with the Iraqi government, and eventually got, we expanded the, the broadcast. We applied. Now we have a radio station in Basra, which is the largest city in southern Iraq. And when ISIS was defeated, we went to Mosul and we put a tower in Mosul, which is the ancient city of Nineveh. And just a couple months ago, we connected with the satellite. Now, the American satellite has given us two stations. One station will improve our broadcast in Iraq. The second station, we are planning to direct it toward Iran and broadcast in the Farsi language so that the Iranians will receive the word of, hear the word of God through our radio station. Now, you know, the Iraqi, now, you know, with the blessing comes the test. You know, every, you know, the devil will never, if you're busy for God, the devil will be busy trying to discourage you. The government recently contacted us and they said, you are a major network in Iraq, so you owe us taxes, back taxes. How much? $165,000 in back taxes. When Meher called me, I said, Meher, this is a lot of money. And Meher said, Brother Edgar, we cannot pull out. I said, he said, don't think of getting out of the market because if you pull our radio out of the market, we will never ever be able to get it back. He said, there are 300 organizations now standing in line waiting for a, 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 a frequency so that they can broadcast. He said, we have to ask the Lord to provide the money. Well, through my partners and my friends, we were able to raise the, the $165,000 and praise the Lord, we were able to pay our uh, for the taxes. But then I called Meher. I said, Meher, I cannot ask my churches to give us $45,000 every year to pay taxes. What can we do to generate income from Iraq so that we can pay the Iraqi money, government from the Iraqi money that we are generating. And this is how the idea of a Christian school came up in Baghdad. Now, you know, the Lord provided the funds. We, we have everything ready to start. All we need is the license. Would you pray that the Lord will make a miracle? I mean, the radio station is a miracle. Having churches in Iraq is a miracle. We need this miracle. If the Lord give us this Bible school, Christian school, number one, we will be able to train 300 students. Number two, the Iraqi schools make money. You know, the, the, the revenue that we can pay not only our taxes from the revenue of the school, but we will be able to also take care of many ministries as a result of this school. So two things we can do, pay our taxes, but also train our people, uh, the kids in the word of God. We are planning to teach English and Arabic. The English side, we, we, will, we will use Abeka and Christian school, uh, uh, Bob Jones Christian school material. That's a matter of prayer. This is how the school is going to look like. Actually, in November, I am going there. We are hoping we will have the license to put the cornerstone uh, for the school. Notice the cross in the heart of Baghdad. 
Now, you know, this brother here is, is an Egyptian. His father founded the, the, the Baptist church, the independent Baptist church, and they killed him. They killed his father. You know, in our ministry, we have lost a few good men. Remember Brother uh, Mahjoub Kaju? I told you about the, the Sudanese, the leader of the Moro tribe. Remember that? They, he was assassinated, and I took care of his children until they became adults. And his, the father of this brother, uh, 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 they assassinated him. So when the father was assassinated, uh, Amir called me after they buried the father. He said, Brother Edgar, they killed my father in order to close our church. He said, uh, we already paid blood for the church. He said, we're not going to close the church. He said, I'm going to take my father's place and continue the ministry. Since Amir became the pastor, he was stabbed twice, one time in his neck. And because he is young, he survived the stabbing. And right now, he is pastoring two churches in Cairo. Uh, and this year, last, uh, last, uh, uh, last December, we preached in this church. Sixty people raised their hands and prayed after me the salvation prayer. Today, we have 13 churches in Egypt. We have six churches in Sudan. And we have other churches across the Middle East. Recently, you know, when COVID spread, COVID closed many ministries and many schools. But to us, COVID was an advantage because God opened the country of Yemen. Yemen is an Islamic nation. And there is a civil war right now in Yemen, a proxy war between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And this brother, his name is Munir, he was a Muslim, got saved, and began to witness to, uh, to the people about the Lord Jesus. They beat him, put him in jail, came out of jail, went back to witness to people. And praise the Lord, he is part of our ministerial team. Last December... He called me, said, Brother Edgar, we have about eight to nine Muslims who got saved. Would you consider baptizing them? I said, sure. So we brought them to Cairo because I cannot go to Yemen. They won't give me a visa. And we ordained, we baptized them. Now, let me explain to you baptism and Islam. You know, to a Muslim, baptism is very important. Why? You know, to be saved is something, an experience in your heart. But when you go to be baptized, this is a public testimony to the world. When he get baptized that I am no more a follower of Muhammad. I am from now on the follower of Christ. And this is when the persecution usually begins. Okay, so these people came, uh, we were able to bring them from Yemen to Cairo. We baptized them there. Then, you know, I said, Brother Munir, I am sorry, I cannot, I cannot uh, fly every person who gets saved to Cairo to baptize him. So we need to sol solve this problem. How did we solve it? We decided to dedicate him unto the Lord. We did not ordain him yet, but we dedicated him and sent him so that when people who get saved in Yemen, he can baptize them in Yemen, not bring them to us uh, in Egypt. This is one ministry that was opened uh, during COVID. Okay, it was open while COVID was raging across the world. The second ministry that is amazing and God gave us is this ministry in Turkey. Now, you know, Brother Munir is a Sunni Muslim, 
Brother uh, Abdul Karim is a Shia Muslim. He's Iranian. And he, he came to Turkey and got saved in Turkey. And now, Brother Abdul Karim uh, worked through satellite TV. He goes on Facebook and uh, he sp- they pick him up on, in Detroit and they broadcast his message to the Muslim world through Sat7. Have you heard of Sat7? You know, it's a satellite TV. It's a, they broadcast a lot of Christian programs. So far, Abdul Karim has connected with 5 million Muslims around the world. 5 million Muslims around the world. His parents put a price on his head when he got saved. Praise the Lord, his family got saved now. They all are saved. And uh, I, I try, I'm trying to bring him to Canada. Lord willing, soon he will move to Canada so that he become more effective as our uh, ministerial team here. We, we want him to reach as many Muslims with the gospel. But, you know, when we went to Turkey to see him, this was at the very beginning of the spreading of the coronavirus. The Muslims heard that uh, there is a minister coming to town. They called me. They said, Brother Fegali, would you consider... Uh, baptizing us. I said, sure. So here we have all these Muslims were baptized that night in a temperature, room temperature. Guess what the temperature was? 34 degrees. <clears throat> now, this brother here, he made it uh, drove, took, uh, uh, he, he drove five hours in Turkey to come to where we are to get baptized. But when we tested his temperature, he, has, he had like 103 degrees temperature. And, uh, I, you know, maybe he had the COVID. I'm not sure because we weren't familiar with the COVID yet. But we assumed he had the flu. So I looked at him and said, brother, you have the flu. You know, I, 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 this is the water is very cold for you. I don't want you to get worse. I said, please, I will come again and baptize you. He looked at me and said, Brother, Brother Edgar, I drove, I traveled five hours to get baptized. I, he said, flu or no flu, you have to dip me in the water. And praise the Lord, he got baptized. You know, as, I was, as he was being baptized, in my mind, I said, how many people in America would be willing to obey the Lord in water baptism in a water temperature 60 degrees, not 34 degrees. What the price people are willing because they love the Lord and want to show their testimony. <coughs> also, during the COVID, am I too long on you? <laughs> okay, you know, here is something, you know. We noticed that a lot of Bible colleges are closing down. So we decided to open one. And we opened, uh, we started uh, in January 2020, we launched the Bible Baptist Bible College from Lebanon. It's a Bible college in online. We decided to go global so that anyone who speaks Arabic anywhere in the world and want to study the Word of God, he will have access to our Bible college. And uh, these are the people. The amazing thing is that this is our board, mem- the board members of our college. And Brother Shumate is somewhere here, Brother, Brother Chris. Some, here he is with his wife. You know, he is on the board. Uh, it's kind of funny. The board members are in America, but the headquarters of the college is in Beirut, Lebanon. 
You say, Brother Fagali, why did you put the college in Beirut, Lebanon? Because we are sick and tired of all these regulations. You, you, you start a Bible college here and the American government will swamp you. You will be drowned with regulations. Over there, the government doesn't interfere with us. We can teach the word of God without government intervention. Amen. Here are our, our pastors Meeting every year, we get together and d discuss what is the strategy, the next step to reach the Middle East uh, with the gospel. Our ministry is based on, based on training national pastors, standing behind them, and I am here to tell you about them. But every year, I bring uh, pastors who are uh, Bible teachers, and we teach the Bible doctrine. Here I am teaching on eternal security of the believers. Uh, this brother uh, from Minnesota, from Wisconsin, he taught on reaching your community uh, with the gospel and missions. Uh, this one here talk about the suffering in the church, uh, eternal uh, bat ba biblical baptism, and the response uh, to the Catholic and the Coptic church in Egypt. <coughs> Counseling, uh, the history of the Baptist Church and its connection to Christianity, uh, the doctrine of prayer, and at the end we give them diplomas and degrees so that if they decided to continue their education, we can consider this to their credit. Throughout the years, we have seen hundreds and maybe thousands of people graduate and go and serve the Lord bestowing a master's degree. And these are our, our national, pa our uh, leadership conference. Every year we meet and uh, we uh, have a great time serving the Lord. This is just last, last May. We had the largest independent Baptist spiritual leadership conference in the history of the Middle East. We had the we had about 720 people attending. Dr. Paul Chapel, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this gentleman here with his wife. Roseanne and uh, Mrs. Chapel spoke to the ladies, and uh, we had about large number of people attending the conference. When uh, one night Dr. Chapel preached a sermon, and I felt the Holy Spirit is presence uh, and powerful, I gave an invitation, and 50 people stood up, gave their lives to the Lord. The following day, we baptized 47 people. Of course, if uh, Pastor Luizu come to speak to us, we will give him a, a souvenir. And then, you know, the conference always ends on a sweet note. <laughs> Our ministry covers the whole. Uh, we are in Iraq. We are in Syria. We are in Lebanon. We are in Egypt. We are in northern Sudan. We have, we have a school and a, a church and Christian school. We have 500 students in the school in southern Sudan. And of course, we are uh, in West Africa. And thank you, church. You know, I could do this because churches like you have invested in our ministry. Why am I telling you all this? Because you are my partners. You see, I'm an extension of the ministry of your church. But you know, at the 
end, I want to. This, this is the largest explosion that took place in, in the history, our modern history, next to the, you know, the first one is the, the bomb that America dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. This is the second one. And, you know, please re realize these people were living a normal life. Some of them were planting for the future, they were, they were going home from work. And suddenly, this happened in the city of Beirut. <clears throat> the man who took the, who was videoing, was flown and was hit the wall. If he were not to hit the wall, he would be thrown out of the building. Brother, continue with the loud voice. <laughs> Fishermen. A Catholic priest, about 12 to 14 miles away from the explosion. The explosion created a 3.5 earthquake uh, on the director scale, 3.5 on the director scale. It was 1,270 tons of aluminum nitrate that exploded. About 500 people dead, 6,000 injured, 300,000 instantaneously became homeless. And a nation that is whose economy is collapsing lost within seconds $16 billion losses in, in their, their economy as a result of the explosion. You know how fragile life is, how insecure life is. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. We live from day to day, but you know, the only hope we have is that he who holds tomorrow is holding my hand. So no matter what happened, doesn't matter because Jesus is holding my hand. I am very grateful that God called me to go back to that part of the world. I speak Arabic. I understand the culture. I know the people. I preach in the Arabic language, and I thank the Lord for this church that has been behind us. Your prayers did all that. You know, this is the bomb that took hit in Hiroshima. This is the bomb of Beirut, Lebanon. It was equivalent to the bomb of Hiroshima. Now we need to pray for Ukraine, by the way, because there is a nuclear facility that may explode and I don't know how big it will be compared to this one. I think this is my presentation. And uh, I know that the Lord Jesus is coming again. Keep your eyes on the Middle East. And uh, please pray that the Lord will help us and give protection uh, to our people.